You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. The elders and I would like to steer into just very briefly as a church family is what continues to go on in our, in our culture. Um, we really are living in, in unprecedented times. It seems like the news cycle every day is loaded with significant issues and polarizing issues and issues that people find themselves caught in the middle of and trying to make sense out of and on the other side of things. So that being said, we just wanted to remind you of just some biblical principles for us to kind of navigate things as individuals and as a church family. Number one and first and foremost is it's imperative that we filter everything through God's word. What we think about issues, where our values are, what our motives are, what we say, what we do, it always, always, always has to come back to scripture. And that that really is foundational. Number two, we need to live wisely. And one of the ways that scripture defines that is in Hebrews chapter 5.14 that you see listed on the screen there. It says a mark of maturity as a Jesus follower is being able to discern evil from good. But another mark of maturity in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and by the way, this is a wonderful prayer to pray for yourself and to pray for our church, but that is also the ability through the Holy Spirit to discern what is best because there is a lot of gray in life. And life oftentimes comes, to, comes down to good, better, and best. And as Jesus followers, we want what's best. We want to be in the center of God's will. And we want to encourage you as an elder team, as difficult as it is in a, in a, in a culture right now where we're saturated with information, please make sure you have good information about what you're responding to, what you're dialoguing about, how you're forming your own attitudes and ideas because the the news cycles and the sound bites that you're hearing and the things that you're reading are just that they're snapshots of a much bigger picture and in fairness to all of us what's going on in our culture right now is complicated it, it is it's it's multi-layered and for instance just on the immigration issue what god tells us to do as individual believers is different than what he tells us to do in terms of how we respond to our government and what our government's responsibility is. And so these profoundly difficult, vitally important issues are being broad brushed a certain way, this way or that way. And, and there's just, it's more complicated than that. And therefore we need great wisdom as individuals and as the church to be able to navigate this in a way that honors the Lord and honors one another. Which brings us to the next piece and that is there's a lot of fear in our culture right now. Some of it justified, some of it not. And even when we're going toe-to-toe with fear, the word exhorts us. In fact, it is the most repeated command in Scripture, by the way, to not fear. Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. Nothing that's going on in our culture right now is a surprise to God. He was not caught off guard. He was not caught unaware. He is still advancing his kingdom. He is still calling us as the church and as his bride to do his work. And we will do that. And again, we'll steer more specifically into these issues with our Daniel series because it will take us to some of these. But finally, we need to extend grace. And the elders and I want to unapologetically remind you that we are Jesus followers who extend grace. That is our vision for this church. 
And quite frankly, there are some of you with what you're blogging and what you're saying and what you're posting, what you're tweeting, that is profoundly graceless. You are saying things to people or stating opinions that you would never look someone in the eye and tell them personally. And yet what you're posting, what you're saying is not reflecting the heart of Christ. And it's, and it's wrong. And we are calling you to repentance. And this is not about a specific political opinion or we're not, this isn't about that. This is about how you express yourself and represent yourself as a Jesus follower. Because the reality is that quite possibly for all of us, for at least one person in our life with who we work with, who our neighbor is, how, however we bump into them, or even our online presence, we are the only real Jesus follower that they know. Do you realize that? For a number of us, you are the only Christian someone knows. There are lots of religious people in our culture who claim to be believers, but for a number of us, you are the only Jesus follower someone knows, and therefore it matters how you interact with other people and how you carry yourself, whatever you believe. Please remember that the issue that you believe strongly in is sometimes overshadowed and it's sometimes more important how you express yourself than what you actually express. So please keep these principles in mind because the vast majority of you get this and are doing this, but there are some of you who aren't. And we want to call you back to Christ and call you back to living in a, in a godly way. So I would like to pray for all of us that we would have wisdom um, to navigate what's going on right now, to be Christ, and to be Christ in how we express ourselves. And then we're going to go right into God's word, okay? Lord, we thank you that you were the one constant in our lives. That the, the world we live in constantly seems to be an upheaval. And the things, the issues that are confronting us as a church and as individuals, they are complicated. There are a lot of dimensions to them. And Lord, we want to unapologetically stand for your word and for your truth and for the life that you call us to. And we want to be distinctive in how we live that out and communicate that, even with people who we disagree with. Lord, help us to be wise and to glorify you in what we say, what we do, how we live, and how we serve others. And God, I thank you for this church family that they are the city on a hill. They are a light that cannot be hidden and that that is seen by the people in this community and literally around the world. So God, thank you for that. Help us to unapologetically proclaim your gospel and live out your gospel in every area of your li- our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so that being said, we're going to dive into God's word. We're wrapping up our series in First Peter and in this serving series. And I ran across something that I'd love to read to you. I'm going to read it to you. Um, that I think really captures the heart of what we've been talking about in this series, but it also paves the way for where we're going today at the end of First Peter. This is entitled, Former President Jimmy and Rosalind Carter Begin Habitat for Humanity Work in Memphis with a devotional. So here we go. Jimmy Carter began the, mor- began the Monday morning with a Sunday school lesson. He talked about the Old Testament story of Ehud, a left-handed judge sent by God to deliver the Israelites from their oppressors. 
He then talked about the New Testament story of Jesus' parable of the talents and how everyone has something to give to others on behalf of God. And then the right-handed former president and his wife took some of their talents and went right to work for the Jimmy and Rosalind Carter work project in Memphis. And this is a picture of them. Carter, age 91, said, quote, Habitat for Humanity is the best way I know to take whatever talents I have and to invest them in the name of Christ for the benefit of others. Mrs. Carter, 89, wearing a white Oxford shirt with a Habitat logo and a white hard hat, as you can see there, scraped mud off the concrete foundation and swept it up. It made me feel like I was doing something good, she said later. The Carters, who have now been married for 70 years, have been doing some good for Habitat for Humanity since 1993, when they began donating a week of their time to build homes for the nonprofit foundation. Catch this. They have helped build nearly 4,000 homes across the country and around the world. I thought that was a remarkable story. And really captures the heart of where we're going this morning as well as what we've been talking about. We, we have been encouraging you, exhorting you to think about how you serve others in this multi-week series. And one of the tangibles out of that is to encourage you to think of your time in terms of what is my ministry outside the walls of the church And what is my ministry inside the walls of the church? And the Carters are a great example of that. President Carter teaches Sunday school in his church on almost a weekly basis, and he is involved in the leadership of the church. And this is what they do outside the church, outside the walls of the church. They they serve with Habitat Humanity. This can have a ton of different looks, but, but really that's the value, is that we are serving inside the walls of the church in somehow, some way. We're serving outside the walls of the church in somehow, some way. And this morning, we wrap up the series with a look at servant leadership. This specifically is talking about elder leadership within the church out of 1 Peter chapter 5. But this is so timely because we are looking to add some elders to our elder team in these next six months. We've been asking you to submit names of elder qualified men. We're going to ask you to do that again at the end of our time this morning. So this is very, very timely, but it's also timeless. Because the principles that are talked about here, especially for leadership, aren't just contained to elders. They are applicable for any one of us who are somehow in some type of leadership capacity. So this is good stuff. And even if you don't see yourself as a leader, even if you don't perceive yourself as having that kind of influence, there is something we're all called to when it comes to leadership, and that's a godly response to it. So there's something here for all of us, and I'm gonna tell you right out of the gate where we're headed this morning. We're looking at the reality of leadership, the responsibility of leadership, the reward for leadership, and the response to leadership. So let's, let's dive into that, and I'll do that by reading 1 Peter 5 to you. If you have your phone or tablet, you can take that out and turn it on if you haven't already, or whip your Bible open, but here we go. To the elders among you, This is Peter writing, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. 
Not pursuing dishonest gain, but being eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And that is a quote out of Proverbs chapter 334. So let's begin to work our way through this passage. It says to the elders among you, and this reminds us of one of the realities of leadership in the church. Did you notice it's plural? To the elders among you. In fact, if you do a study of elder leadership, Old Testament to New, it is always plural. You will never find where it says to the elder of the church. It's to the elders of the church. One of the realities of leadership, especially in the church, is that it is always done in team. Always. Unfortunately, in our culture, we have imported this CEO idea, the CEO model into church leadership, and you see it play out in a, in a variety of church contexts, and it's, frankly, it's not biblical. It's not the example or the model of, of leadership that we see in Scripture. Elder leadership is always done in team because it's always, always in plural, and it's very, it's fascinating to me because I will get this question not infrequently from people who are newer to grace. After a while and they've been here, usually, um, I can't even think of all the different contexts this comes up, but someone will pull me aside once they trust me a little bit and they, they have some relationship with me. And so they'll ask me, so tell me about your church. It's not my church. Actually, it's Jesus' church. I'm, I'm one of the leaders who serves here. No, 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 tell me. You know, tell me about your church. This is your church, right? No, it, it's really not. This is God's church. It's, it's his people. We have an elder team here. And for clarity and clarification, I do have a specific role as your lead pastor, and it's to, it's to lead. My job is to initiate vision, with the elder team. It is not my vision. It's really our vision as a church family, and we have a very defined process for, for listening to the Lord and discerning his heart and will and discerning his plan for our church as a crew. Now, my, my, by definition, my role is to, is to be praying about that and to be initiating conversations and initiating the process about that, but it's, it's not my church and it's not my vision. My, my time goes to preaching and to prayer to administration. I work with our staff leadership. I have eight direct reports now. Eight of the staff report to me directly, and I oversee. That's pretty much my time and the shepherding that I get to do around that with you, but that's, that's, that's what, I, what I do. And I know some of you come from different leadership models in other churches, and I really encourage you, if you haven't done this, on our back resource table, we have a roles of leadership typed up, and it describes how we work as a church, because the way God defined elder leadership, there is, there's lots of different shapes and forms that can take. That's why you have 
so many different forms of, of elder leadership in churches. There's a lot of leeway there and a lot of flexibility there. But this is how we work. It defines my role. It defines the staff's role. It defines our role as a congregation. It defines the role of the elders and how all that works together. And I really encourage you to pick that up and look through it. But this whole idea of shepherding is always done in team. And I am so grateful for the health and unity that we have as a church and the health and unity in our leadership. And it goes back years and years and years to the leaders who have served this church in the past. It goes back to people like Gary Walden, who was the elder chairman when I first was hired here almost 12 years ago. It goes back to Joby Busher, who's one of our, he and Arliss are, are some of our original founding members, and some of you are still around who have been here 30 plus years. It goes back to his leadership as an elder chairman. It goes back to the multiple elders who have served at various times in the leadership of our church. It goes back to our ministry leaders and our staff who are currently serving here, who have served in the past. There is, there is a health and a unity to this church family that is built on a foundation of faithfulness. It goes back to Dennis Friesen, our founding pastor, who helped establish the culture that we have. I mean, we could go on and on, but, but we have a humble, spirit-dependent, wise, godly group of leadership and really a heritage of that, and we're profoundly thankful for it, and it didn't just happen. It's come through a lot of prayer and a lot of faithfulness and, and a lot of hard work and dependency on the Lord. This is our current crew. This is our, our elder team. To the top left is Dave Christensen, Next is yours truly. After that is Steve Matthews, Gary Brashears, who you recognize from our preaching team here, Sean Rowley, who you recognize from our preaching team, Daryl Broadsword, our current um, elder chairman. And I don't know who that last guy is. I, Waldo? Is that who he's in? And that's Jerry Smith, the other staff elder besides myself. So that, that's our crew. Did you notice that's not a full slide? Because we'd like to add two more pictures up there in six months because we're looking to expand our team because of the growth and the need of, of the church. So here's a good question for you. What in the world do those guys do? Okay, so that's our elder team. What do they do? Well, this passage tells us what they, what they do. Be shepherds of God's flock. This is one of the many places in Scripture where the care and leadership of the church is described in the shepherd-sheep paradigm. So what does that mean? Well, what we're really talking about here is the responsibility of of elder leadership. And Peter's now going to go into very significant detail about that within just a couple verses. And really, this practically is what leaders do. And just so we're on the same page, leadership always involves serving. Always involves serving. Servant leadership was Jesus' idea. He was the ultimate servant leader and he charged his leaders who would follow him to serve in the same manner, in the same way. So what in the world do these guys do? Well, they only really work one day a week, right? Sundays? Isn't that really how it rolls? It's a little bit more involved than that. And I'm going to take this occasion to quickly give you an idea of, of what elders do because some of you legitimately don't, don't know and you really should know what it means that this team so faithfully shepherds our church. There are really two main pieces to shepherding. One is strategic and one is tactical. Those are J, J words, J-isms. Let's get a little more biblical. There is a planning part 
to shepherding and there is a personal or relational part to shepherding. Let's go to the planning part. The elders and I are constantly praying through, trying to listen to the Lord and develop with input and feedback from you and the ministry staff a three-year strategic plan. Where would God want us next year? Where does God seem to be leading us in two years? Where does God seem to be leading us in three years? And I'll give you some definitive examples of that. Do you realize that about five years before we launched the third service here, we were praying about it and planning for it and preparing for it before you ever heard about it as a church family, formally. When we launched the fourth service, and became a church with Comunidad and really part of what we're celebrating today, that was 15 years in the making. And really tangibly, practically, about four and a half years in the making before you heard about it. That was on a strategic plan about 10 years ago as a possibility of what if, what if, what would it take to make this happen and does God seem to be leading us this way? That is the planning part that you probably don't ever hear much about, but there is a way that you can stay connected to that. In the back this morning on our resource table, some years ago, the elders developed a thing called Elder Talk, which is where we try to capture concisely what it is we're praying about, where God seems to be leading us, what are the decisions we're having to make, what are the things we're wrestling through. After every elder meeting, which is the first and third Tuesday of every month, that next Sunday, there'll be a copy of that back there for you. Please don't ever hesitate to grab that. It's there for you. We want you to know and be in the loop on what God seems to be doing and working on around here and how he's leading us. But, but that's one way. But the other way our elders lead is through shepherding. And one of the principal ways we shepherd is we pray for you. On a constant, regular basis, the first, at least, the first half an hour of our elder meetings is devoted to prayer and praying for you. We also pray for you when we're on our own individually. I know our elders take that very, very seriously. Our elders lead by example. We try to live out the, the character um, qualities that we're called to as Jesus followers in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications of elders. But this is a snapshot of what the relational shepherding looks like that our elders do. This was this last week. One elder was working with a family who had someone who was demonized. One elder was working with a family who has recently lost someone and is is grieving and hurting. One elder was working um, with a situation where someone has uh, been wrapped up in porn and just obviously needs to be freed from that. Another elder was working with, um, actually a couple of elders were working with someone who was really struggling with bitterness and criticalness and were praying through that, working through that. Another elder was working with um, someone who shared with them uh, what had happened in their family that just brought them to tears. I mean, just horrible hurt and brokenness and that stuff goes on all the time. That was just this last week. To be more specific, The elders meet, as I said, the first and third Tuesday of every month. These men come from full-time jobs, all of them, to do that. At the end of an elder meeting day, most of them have put in 10, 12, 14-hour days. And this this isn't always true, but the last elder meeting, I got home about 11 o'clock that night, got to bed about midnight because of stuff 
you know, we were working on post-meeting. Our meeting went over this. We usually contain it to two and a half hours, but it had to go over because of things we had to do. It's because these men love you. They are committed to serving you and to leading as the Holy Spirit leads them. And we are profoundly blessed to, to have these guys serving us. But they work profoundly hard. I communicate with them daily, usually through email. Sometimes it's on the phone. Um, we have two retreats that we affectionately call attacks every year where we go away for a couple days because we don't retreat. We attack, we pray, we think, we argue, we listen. We... And by the way, there's not a lot of group thinking that goes on in this group. You could not have a more diverse group of seven people right here. And somehow through the Holy Spirit and through God's leading, we're able to come to consensus on decisions and, and actually get things done. This is a profoundly effective team that sharpens one another and um, is a huge blessing. But it's hard. Leadership is hard. Any of you who have ever served in leadership, you know that it's hard. And one of the hardest parts of leadership is to make sure that your motives are right. It's one of the hardest parts of life, right? It doesn't just apply to leaders, it applies to all of us. You can do good things for the wrong reasons and all sorts of stuff. Our brokenness is so pervasive, even though we've been redeemed and restored and renewed by Christ and we're still a work in progress to his Holy Spirit, we still default back to those things that are broken. And, And it's hard to do that as an elder. It's hard to, to lead wisely and to be spirit-led. It's challenging. That's why Peter speaks to it in this passage. And he goes into things like, you know, do this out of desire, not because it's a duty. Don't become greedy for money. And, and how often do we hear stories of where there's embezzlement that happens in a church, in the leadership, right? It's a very real challenge or don't lord it over those entrusted to you but be examples to the flock anyone in any role of leadership can be tempted to abuse and misuse their power really any kind of leadership will challenge and amplify your insecurities you will have to do battle with your own insecurities and your own brokenness and I can tell you unequivocally that our elders the elders God has blessed us with and has historically blessed us with they get it And they do work constantly with their own insecurities, realigning their hearts with the Lord's, trying to to sift motives and making sure that they're truly being servant leaders. I remember when I was a young pastor, there was a, really he was known as a pastor of pastors who came to our church and Village was a really large church where I served and had a large staff and so he came just to our church to do kind of a little mini conference with us. And I remember sitting there as a young middle school ministry pastor Um, And I'm in this room with um, a number of our ministry leaders and staff. There's probably about 30 or 40 of us. And this guy is talking and he said, you know, statistically, and he's looking around the room, looking us in the eye as he says this, the vast number of you are serving in ministry out of your insecurities. You are in leadership for the wrong reasons. And I thought, really? Really? I don't have insecurities. I don't have insecurities. And so in my wisdom and maturity, I looked around the room and went, what is wrong with you people? (laughs) What what are you doing? Why are you serving? And as I thought and reflected on that, I I realized, well, you know, there's, there's something there. 
And unfortunately, one of the realities, I wish it wasn't this way, but for a number of you, in the churches you've been in, hopefully you haven't experienced this here at Grace, but we'll talk about that in just a minute, but there are some of you, you've been hurt by leadership in other churches. Someone did misuse their power. Someone did lord it over you. Someone did manipulate you. Someone did wrong you who was in leadership. And and that's hard and painful. I hear stories constantly uh, of that happening. And, and, And honestly, I have been involved in situations here because of the complexity of relationships and issues and just mistakes on my part, poor decisions on my part, where I have been the agent of hurt in people's lives and I've wondered, how in the world did I get to this place and how in the world did this happen? Sometimes there's just inexplicable things where people are trying to be faithful to the Lord, trying to do their best, and still decisions get made or things get done that hurt people's feelings. And I hate it when I'm involved in that because that's not where I want to be. So sometimes those things happen. But some of you have come from profoundly difficult places with leadership. And my appeal to you would be, as an elder team, please let us earn your trust. Please give us the opportunity to earn your trust. And to give the benefit of the doubt. Because I can tell you, with as much credibility as I have with you and as much as you trust me, I'm the one who's behind closed doors with our elder team on a regular basis. These men love Jesus. They are the real deal. They are unpretentious. They are humble. They are servants. And they serve you selflessly and sacrificially and faithfully. And you should respect and love and pray for them and follow them because they're following Jesus. But this passage reminds us that you're not our flock. You're you're God's flock. And that's profoundly freeing for us as an elder team and for us as leaders because it's not our job to fix you. We can't. And the elders and I hear stories that just break our hearts of of what's happened in your life and what you you struggle with. And I'm so grateful that we serve a God who's able to heal and who's able to who's able to work and, and that's so significant because we all need him, right? And for those of you who serve in any kind of leadership, but especially here for our elder leaders, it, it has this incredible promise. When the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. What do you think that's gonna be like? Is it gonna be an actual crown? It, it, is it talking about some other kind of reward? And by the way, I I am so appreciative of the great resources we have when we're studying God's word. There are so many wonderful commentaries out there written by profoundly wise scholars who have devoted their lives to studying God's word and helping us understand it better. But I'll never forget what I read in this one commentary where I thought, what are you thinking? It was one of those few times where I just, you've got to be kidding me. But this commentator said, well, you know, rewards should never be the basis for anything we do. So when God says he's going to reward us, that shouldn't be the focus of what we do. Seriously? Why would God say he's going to reward us and then not want that to motivate us? Help me figure that one out. How often does scripture talk about 
for all of us that God is going to reward us for faithfulness all the time. Read the book of Matthew, verses five, uh, chapters five through seven, and a half dozen times in there, it talks about the Father rewarding us when no one else will, when no one else recognizes what we do, when no one else appreciates us, when no one else recognizes us or acknowledges us. And, and this is one of those things that so blesses me I, I love to serve you. I love to serve our chief shepherd because in part, he's going to give me a crown of glory someday. How awesome will that be? What a huge privilege to serve with you and to serve you. But if that wasn't enough, he goes on to tell us not just the reward for leadership, but how all of us should respond to leadership. Submit yourselves. We are to submit ourselves to to leadership. We've talked about submission all throughout this series and we all get to do it. All of us are under authority to somebody. The government, an employer, um, wives to husbands, um, uh, us to the elders. So our response to leadership should be to submit to it. Not when it's abusive, not when it's misused, not when it's misconstrued, but otherwise we are, we are to submit to it. And just so we're on the same page and we're defining terms, submit means you disagree and you willingly, voluntarily yield yourself to the leadership of another. Once again, submission is not compliance. Submission is not something you do when you agree. Submission is grounded in the reality that you disagree or you are hesitant or you're not quite sure and instead you choose to voluntarily align yourself with the leadership of another and that's what's being talked about here. And if this wasn't enough, Hebrews 13 says this, have confidence in and in the other translations that says obey your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. They are in submission and accountable to God. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. We are to submit to the elders. I submit to the elders. Sometimes when I don't want to. Because A, I'm not always right, as hard as that is to believe. It's hard for me to believe too. And B, because this is what I'm called to do is to submit to the elders. Yes, I lead with them, but there are times also that I, that I submit with, to them. And gladly so. Because this is what honors God and pleases God. And once again, this is not saying you submit to authority that's misused or abused you know, that's not what this is talking about. But this is talking about submitting to authority. But just again, so we're balancing that. Do you ever submit to someone because they deserve it? Would you please help me find in Scripture where it says for the authorities that we all are called to submit to, that it says we do that as long as they are worthy of it. It does not say that. You do not submit to an employer because they've earned that. Wives do not submit to husbands because they've earned that. Church family doesn't submit to elders because they've earned that. That's not what submission is all about. You submit to authority because Jesus has earned it. You submit to authority because Jesus deserves it because he is the one who has put authority in place over us we've we've looked at this and this once again comes back to how do we live distinctly then 
in submitting to leadership and serving leadership. Well, here it is. How you serve others, how you submit to authority shows whose flock you are in. Or to put it another way, how you serve others, how you submit to authority shows who your shepherd is. Is he your shepherd? For those of you in leadership, are you a servant leader? I'll never forget the example of an elder who I got to spend a lot of time with. He never was my elder. He had served as an elder chairman and as an elder in another church for many, many years and then had stepped down from that and retired. And the reason I got to know this man was all the health problems that assaulted him in the final years of his life. I have never seen someone with more health ailments than this man. His name was Ken Hamlin. And when I was a young community care pastor, he was one of the first people who I walked a multi-year health journey with in our congregation. This man was in the hospital more than anyone I've ever known. And you would think that someone like that would be bitter, angry, resentful, and he never showed any of those dynamics in his relationship with the Lord. In fact, he was convinced that God allowed his health to deteriorate and to get to where it was so he could go into places and do things that he could have never done before and that it would allow him to proclaim the gospel. His mandate was to evangelize Providence St. Vincent's Hospital because he was literally on almost every floor of the hospital in the time that I knew him. Constantly in for surgeries, constantly in for treatments. I, it, it just went on and on and on. And I saw this man tell everyone possible he could about Jesus. And then this man eventually went home to be with the Lord. And I'll never forget being at Ken's funeral and having person after person stand up and testify to the character of who this man really was. Some kids who now were adults, but when they were kids, they decided it would be a good idea to go up on his roof and, you know, I don't know what they were doing up there, but to run around and do things and whatever. And they, Ken found out about it and he came out and called them down and he just looked at them and said, you know, I'm really disappointed in your choices. And that's all he said. And these adults now said that was a defining moment in their lives because this man had so much integrity and when his help was held in such high regard, even though they were running around on his roof and doing stuff they shouldn't have done, that for him to confront them in that manner, to not manipulate them or to um, be harsh with them, but just to say, I'm really disappointed, you guys, in, in what you just chose to do. It was a turning point in their lives and God used that to bring them to repentance and eventually to Christ And now at his funeral, years later, they were looking back on that and saying it's because Ken spoke the truth and love to us and because of who he was in Christ. And person after person stood up and said, this is how he served our church. Or when my loved one died, he was the elder who was there. Or when I was in the hospital, he was the one who came visited me. Or when we were going through that really difficult season in our church, he was the one who kept calling us back to trust Jesus and pray and humble yourself and Story after story after story. That is the kind of leader I want to be. 
And for those of you who are leaders, that is the kind of servant leader that God calls you to be. Someone who is humble and dependent and spirit-led and courageous and who will speak the truth in love even when no no one else does and who will stand for what's right even when no one else does and who will serve others and who will be teachable and listen and not be stubborn and not be prideful. That's the kind of leaders that God wants for his church. And that's really how he calls us to lead in the other arenas that he will place us. So I would like to impart a blessing to you as we call the worship team now to to come forward and as we respond to what we've heard in God's word. I'm kind of doing this on the fly. I wasn't necessarily planning to do this, but the Spirit seems to be telling me to do this, so we're going to do it. So if you're a leader, I want to pray for you this morning, and I want to start with who we're talking about first, and that's our elders. If you are one of our currently serving elders, would you please stand up? And these guys are going to be spread throughout our service, so we've got two of them here, Dave and, Dave and Sean. If you are called to some type of leadership here at Grace in terms of where you're serving in ministry, I'm going to ask you to stand up, and I'm going to preface this with this. There is a false humility and really, it's, a, it's pride in disguise that says, well, you know, I don't need to stand up. I don't want to call attention to myself. Well, by standing, what we're acknowledging is our dependency on the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you that if you are in leadership, don't be shy and don't think you're being humbled by remaining seated. Because by standing, we're going to pray God's empowerment over you and that you would be dependent on the Lord. Okay, so that being said, if you are leading in a ministry here, would you please stand up? if you are a husband will you please stand up if you are leading in the community in some way shape or form would you please stand up and now I want all the rest of you to stand up Because whether you have a defined leadership role or not, leadership in essence is influence. And you are the only Jesus follower someone knows somewhere, someplace. Or you're one of several, but you have influence over someone's life. And so I want to pray God's blessing over every single one of you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we stand before you not to pridefully say, look at us, but rather to express our dependency upon you. Lord, your church desperately needs leadership that is spirit-led and humble and teachable. Our families need leadership that is servant-hearted and full of grace and truth and faithful. Lord, our community needs leaders who will be salt and light, who will live and lead distinctly for you as an act of worship to you. And Lord, for every single person here, we have influence in someone's life around us. Therefore, we are called to serve and to love and at times to lead. 
So, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. You say in this very passage we just looked at, the Lord shows favor to the humble and to humble ourselves under your mighty hand that you would lift us up in due time. Lord, would you lift us up in due time? Would we remain humble before you? Would we speak the truth in love? Would we be faithful to you? Would we allow you to expose our insecurities so we can choose instead to anchor ourselves to you and to be motivated by what pleases and honors you? Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. As we now sing this song together, would you remind us of how you have served us, of how you lead us, and how you love us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.